This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Monday, 7th of November, 2022. Very interesting pivot we saw on Friday. Well, in some markets, more than others, uh, we have to say we got the U.S. jobs data pretty mixed. The headline looks positive with the uh, the slight beat on non-farm payrolls change plus 263K. Uh, we did see a hotter than expected average hourly earnings on the month on month, the 0.4 versus 0.3% expected. But the year on year figure is still dropping to that low since uh, the summer of 2021 at 4.7%. But the household survey uh, weak, and this has been a tendency, at least more often than not, for that household survey to disappoint, relatively speaking. My minus 328K, and that's a very volatile survey, but still it was weak. And even though the participation rate dropped 0.1%, we saw the how um, the unemployment rate pulling up to 3.7% off that uh, cycle and modern record low of 3.5%. That was worse than expected. So yields dropped back a little bit. And I think the interesting thing there was more that the uh, <clears throat> the Forex market just really uh, selling off the dollar very, very steeply. Big move there. Maybe trying to drive driven on the argument that finally we have seen peak Fed after that very hawkish uh, Fed press conference on uh, uh, on Wednesday that, uh, uh, you know, as long as the data doesn't continue to beat to the upside, we sort of priced in what the Fed is going to do. That could quickly be challenged, of course. We have this Thursday's uh, CPI, but we did see yields a little bit lower. We saw sentiment rebounding a little bit, and we saw the biggest reaction again in the Forex market. But, um, uh, Peter, I know you've got some some really cool and interesting uh, specific stock focus today, but there wasn't a lot of to take away from Friday's session in your mind, if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> no, no, I, I don't think they, the Friday were particularly interesting from uh, from my side. Um, I, it's Monday, so we can we can look at the uh, last week's performance, and I think there's a there's two stories there: the ongoing decoupling, if you will, of the Chinese equity market uh, to the rest of the world, even the economy itself. It's it's very strange. Um, but um, so the very strong performance across the emerging market equities and our two Chinese baskets there. And then if you look at the in the bottom, payment stocks, bubble stocks, cybersecurity had a very ugly week, um, obviously tied to the FMC, Powell's remark, Larry Summers, you know, maybe the terminal rate should be 6% instead of 5 obviously driving through the discount rate, putting down the, the valuation on these uh, more uh, lofty uh, segments in terms of equity valuation. So um, it's uh, it's still ugly out there. And and I think the the um, what we also see in the technology sector is an acceleration in layoffs. And we'll talk more about that uh, in the uh, the podcast when we get to the stocks to watch. Yeah. And Ole, I forgot to mention in my uh, intro bit there that one of the things that was also pumping sentiment on Friday were hopes around, and there's been so much chatter all last week, that China is set to to pull back the zero COVID policy, we saw um, uh, in, in, the for, in the currency space, we saw the commodity currencies jumping, but copper had a really wild session. Uh, we focused on it a little bit. It really has felt like these commodities are just winding and grinding in a range, <clears throat> waiting for this big news item to drop, which it refused to do over the weekend. They're pushing back again against any idea that they're set to move. So what's obviously that's the announcement you're looking for here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Last week was all about uh, China with uh, the FOMC put into uh, into the <clears throat> into the mix as well. But um, Friday's uh, search was, uh, was supported by the weak dollar, as you mentioned, John, was really just a phenomenal. Copper had its biggest day since 2009. 
up more than 7%. Silver managed to follow suit after breaking above 20. It also uh, gathers some momentum. So uh, so the big question is really now if the if the sell into strength narrative uh, has changed from from the uh, from these uh, latest movements probably too early to say but if you look at the copper at least it's doing uh, quite a bit of work to uh, get uh, get through some previous highs and uh, that's uh, adding some some positive sentiment back into the market you mentioned china john and, and even though the 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 headline over the weekend was uh, that the zero covid tolerance uh, was still in place we are still seeing some uh, some signals from the from the safe uh, from the health authorities that towards the local governments that they are prepared to accept some kind of easing of the uh, of the restrictions. So so I think that story will continue to uh, to to rumble on and and provide some underlying support. But I, th- I think after such a strong rally on Friday, we most certainly still need uh, support from uh, from the dollar uh, weakening, and we need to see it get further f- sense that the economy is, mm-hmm. that we're seeing demand picking up in in China. So so watch the industrial metals because gold will be will be uh, will be driven by the. The, uh, the 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 impact from from copper through to silver through to gold. Yeah, and uh, so I have a hard time figuring out uh, how much I should put into this uh, forex reaction when the confirming and coincident indicators aren't moving as much. So the U.S. yields they were neutralized a bit, but they haven't dropped back that much. Um, but it was a very big move in the foreign exchange market, as you can see on slide three. The Aussie dollar really breaking significantly higher. Part of that was the commodity story you just uh, ran through uh, um, a little bit. Also, it was uh, isolated dollar weakening. And if you look at your dollar <laughs> cable, et cetera, you're seeing a similar type of movement. So um, it, it looks uh, like a bullish reversal uh, for Aussie dollar, bearish reversal for dollar traders until proven otherwise. But there are some really key levels. If you look at the dollar index, it looks a lot like an upside down version of this uh, Aussie dollar chart. Uh, there's an area that needs to uh, be broken through. And I, it really is going to be after this Thursday's uh, CPI number out of the U.S. I think to test whether this move is, has got legs, and uh, we are seeing a more profound pricing in of of peak Fed here. Now you brought up over the weekend, and you've mentioned it before. Will you do your weekly rundown of the U.S. Uh, positioning in the U.S. futures market on foreign exchange? And there's been quite a shift there that uh, you should perhaps mention. You've got some uh, charts here on slide four. Yes, yeah, slide four. Just uh, just uh, f- accumulate the uh, the gross position uh, across nine IMM futures contracts. Again, we have to highlight it's just a, it's just a, a corner of the market, but it's still a market which is uh, which is quite popular among speculators because you have a central clearing point for your futures exposure. So what we've seen now for since basically end of August is that the market's been selling dollars, uh, even though the dollar is, during that time had hit new uh, multi highs. Especially against the, especially the euro, you can see in the small insert in the top right-hand corner that the euro position has gone from a a sizable net short to a to a decent net long, and that really accelerated last week ahead of the FOMC meeting. So, so so whether this is a signaling a turn in the market remains to be seen, but uh, at least speculators are are getting out of dollar longs and uh, starting to put uh, some more emphasis on the euro. Uh, also, last week the move was supported by quite a bit of short covering in dollar yen. So, um, so uh, yeah, it's interesting to see that that they, they seem like they've been they've started to move uh, quite a bit in ahead of the uh, the mm-hmm. actual price, telling you that it's the correct one. Yeah, and you've got euro dollar parity that's in play today. It's been crisscrossing a, a bit back and forth over that level this morning. A little tactical test there. The bigger ones, uh, the one hundred and one. Uh, plus, or the 101 area in euro dollar and the 145 area in dollar yen in particular is a big line in the sand on that particular pair. I would suspect we have to see a bit of a bigger move lower in uh, U.S. yields. Yeah, 
I think just to finish off the commodity space, we had a trade data out from China overnight. And uh, and basically what we see in the commodity space is that the uh, demand for commodities or imports generally slowed uh, last month, uh, with the exception being crude oil, because refineries got some increased uh, mandates to uh, to produce uh, refined products, which they, they can sell, uh, export into a, a, mar- a global market hungry for products uh, right now. So so this is obviously backward looking. The market right now is responding to more what's going to happen in the days and months ahead. And the uh, so, so, but this does indicate that China is coming from a relatively weak point in terms of commodity demand, and the market is obviously looking for that to to stabilize and to improve over the coming months if these lockdowns continue to be lifted. All right, okay, Peter, let's uh, look at the uh, one of the stocks uh, we've seen a lot of. Um, actually, I think this is really interesting to start with this uh, European activity indicator we talked about this morning. So, take us through this uh, slide eight here, um, the, the so-called Eurocoin growth indicator. Yeah. <clears throat> so the backdrop is that the European equity market is up 13% since late September. Um, obviously, sentiment uh, was getting too pessimistic on Europe. We've had tailwind with warm weather, you know, an easing of energy concerns, uh, etc. But, you know, winter is still ahead of us. Um, and <clears throat> and there, there has been a surprise, an upside surprise to European earnings. So everything looks, uh, you, know, you would think, is good for Europe, right? Um, and we looked at this Eurocoin growth indicator, as you indicate, Jan. It's a uh, Coincident real-time GDP tracker developed by the Bank of Italy. It's used inside the ECB to get a gauge on where is GDP growth quarter and quarter right now. Um, and so, so that is what actually you see on the on the y-axis. It's an estimate of a quarter on quarter GDP growth, and you can just see how growth has just plummeted in uh, in the matter of a very few months. And uh, we are now on par on the three months average, um, on par with what we saw during the uh, the euro area uh, crisis back in the years of uh, 2011 and uh, and 12, uh, even late 10. And I just think that's an interesting story because the the discussion back and forth, especially in the U.S. economy, is that the nominal economy and even the real economy is still very strong. You have your the your consumer credit story there, John. But in Europe, but in Europe, it's just such a different backdrop. And now we have China moving moving the opposite uh, the opposite way, easing their COVID con- uh, restrictions. I I just think I'm not a I'm not the classic uh, macro uh, hedge fund guy. I've never been. Uh, I, I I I'm I'm sticking with what I know, which is equities. But I I it is to me at least it seemed like the macro environment is one of the most challenging it has been at least in the twelve years I've been here. It's actually- yeah, it certainly is, especially for Europe that uh, pressure there. The ongoing story of deglobalization and uh, Europe being an export block and their industrial model being broken in Germany because of high energy prices, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We've, we've talked a lot about this, but you, may, you mentioned the Euro, uh, Eurocoin growth indicator. Well, one thing that's extremely lagging, it's, it's something I just noticed because the uh, data point is coming up today, the latest U.S. consumer credit um, uh, figures. And uh, so what I have here on slide seven is just the revolving uh, revolving part of this, which is generally credit cards. And you can see it's really just uh, almost gone vertical over the last year or so. But one should not necessarily take this as a sign of health. This is a very badly lagging indicator, as I show in the smaller inset there. That was accelerating into the end of 2007, the last time around. We had a, a quite a significant recession. And, you know, that was the, the economy was already in recession at that point in time and didn't start rolling over till well into 2008. So it's a little bit like the unemployment rate, uh, jobs market, the, the course of this indicator. An interesting figure to track, but uh, not one that uh, provides any leading information on uh, on where we are. All right, let's get back to the equity market because you're, there's a couple of interesting news items overnight. The, the Apple and Meta and then the, the divergent reaction, those two stocks around that. 
uh, I think that's especially interesting for for our listeners. Yeah, exactly. So Apple is cutting uh, their uh, their output target for the iPhone by three million units. That's a that's a quite a quite a cut there, and has been underway. Uh, we Apple also recently announced a, a hiring uh, pause, um, especially for R and D workers. And uh, Apple has indicated about this uh, falling the hardware, uh, falling demand for their hardware business um, because they recently raised the prices on the services business. So that I think was a very clear sign that they're trying to offset the weakness in the hardware business with you know higher profitability in their software business. And then um, Apple is the I think the last time I checked was down one percent in pre market trading. And then I think the big story is Meta. So Meta, uh, after the Q3 earnings release, there was a lot of conversations going back and forth. Institutional investors can call in to the investor relations team. And, and in some cases, if you're big enough, you can get even Mark Zuckerberg on the call. Uh, and the the general takeaway is among institutional investors that Mark Zuckerberg is acting like a king. They were very disappointed. There was, they, they didn't calm the investor base in terms of their cash burn rate, their CapEx spending plans for next year. They're, they're a huge bet on this metaverse. Um, and and that left the investors frustrated. And if you look at the share price here, they, uh, last week even, they, they pushed it even lower than from the $100 per share. We uh, we closed the week at just north of $90 per share. This is a, it's a stock that traded 380 uh, <laughs> a little bit more than a year ago. Um, and, and the Wall Street Journal is running with a story over the weekend that uh, apparently Meta has ordered people that are on a business trip to come home back to the headquarter and their regional offices, uh, etc. Um, there's a lot of rumors that uh, thousands of employees will be laid off. So maybe Mark Zuckerberg, after all, is listening to investors and will begin uh, trimming his cost. Um, and where those costs will be uh, will be found, whether it's in the core business or wherever, we'll we'll have to find out. But it's you must you must thinking when you look at the share price and you know the core business of Meta is, is still very strong. It's a cash engine. Um, and you look at the valuation. I think it's now a P ten or a uh, sub nine. Actually, I just looked. Oh, it's a sub nine. Okay, okay. It's 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 crazy. So the risk reward ratio obviously is is quite spectacular and meta for those that have the the guts to do a short term trade here. Interesting story and just a staggering destruction of shareholder value. Um, yeah. Is there anything you want us to take us through? Uh, no, the, I think uh, people um, can yeah. read the uh, the two points. I think we should just move. Uh, uh, quickly to the uh, to the earnings calendar. So the the earnings uh, season is is really. You know, slowing down here um still a few uh, names to pull out for this week but if we focus on today uh solar edge technologies in the uh, solar panel industry they make software and little inverters etc um so it's a it's a supplier in the overall supply chain uh expected to grow revenue uh, 58 percent oh sorry 50 50 57 70 sorry 57 year a year uh, both in the top line and the uh, and the bottom line and then i have highlighted palantir is one of those very uh, highly valued equities that are still suffering these headwinds from falling stock prices and and high interest rates uh, on the technology sector. So watch that. And then I put in a little insert just to give you some background how revenue is is progressing for the quarter. And that's not really the problem. It's not the, the top line growth that is the issue. It is these rising input cost pressures. And I think next quarterly earnings will be even more interesting because the the weight trackers that are coming out from the different regional Fence in the U.S. are real, still really suggesting a lot of pressure on, in the labor market. Okay, that takes us to the macro calendar. Again, uh, we have the consumer credit, not a leading indicator out today. It's a pretty quiet calendar for today. And uh, tomorrow we have the midterm elections. I'm not expecting these to be a market mover unless we get a Democratic uh, victory in both sides of Congress. Nobody is expecting that. That's a 5 to 10 delta outcome. 
that would be a real shocker. And I think that it would be a game changer. And it could happen only because, A, the pollsters have overcorrected their models, uh, which got things so badly wrong since the Trump election. And so they're not picking up something that has uh, developed since then, uh, because, B, there's been a uh, big turnout among Democrats, possibly on the abortion side. That's just not getting detected. You know, the turnout bit is, is the probably the, the most difficult bit of of polling in general. So, yeah, and that's why the polls were so bad in 2016, because a whole new cadre of voters came out and voted that simply were not voting before. So very interesting. Uh, nonetheless, we'll have to track that. But the uh, macro highlight of the week is the October CPI release up on Thursday. It is expected for the core, which is really the, one of the keys here, obviously, after we peaked out uh, for the cycle, and it was a surprising peak at 6.6% year on year in September. That's expected to drop back to 6.5%. The headline expected to print below 8% uh, at 7.9% versus 8.2% in September. So that's going to be a key test, I think, here for across markets, really, because it's going to uh, provide the next spark for yields to move either up or down after the very hawkish uh, uh, Powell press conference, and therefore the swings in risk sentiment, and you would think as well for the U.S. dollar, whether this uh, this sell-off that's been uh, materialized on Friday was maybe a bit of an overreaction, or if something is brewing in the uh, correlations across markets that would be very new if, for example, uh, the dollar was to be able to continue weaken without notable coincident moves in uh, sentiment and in uh, U.S. yield. So we'll have to watch for that on Thursday. That is the big test of the week, macro-wise, for sure. All right. Be careful out there. That's a wrap. We'll uh, be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.